0: Thank you, Martha Jane. Uh, we're so glad we have Bob's question. I was going to do a grandiose introduction. I Googled him, and the pages were about that long, and I didn't understand
1: a bit of So, here's Bob. Yeah, you better be careful about that Google stuff. Up there. <laughs> don't believe it. No, my, You know, when Roots came out, I don't know what, back in the, 18, the 1980s or whatever. And my mama, you know, we were all saying, you know, we need to find out our roots and all this. And my mama said, she said, boys, y'all just need to leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, some of those branches don't fork.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my
1: mama. Uh, first thing that's why I guess I said that. Um, you know, first of all, it's awfully humbling to... Uh, to be invited here to the CUC. And I, I don't take this uh, lightly. I know that this is a great honor and I appreciate uh, the offer. Uh, and I also know that you have to be very careful amongst all of you who have been immersed in the church and in the Bible um, to pick out something that is so familiar that even non-church people talk about it. Uh, and when you take something very familiar like that, a story in the Bible, and then you try to embellish it or try to look for new insights and things like that, I know that I'm taking a risk. But there are people who don't even go to church, who don't even read the Bible, and they can always talk about Jesus changing the water into wine and Jesus walking on the water. And so today I thought we would take a look at uh, Jesus and Peter walking on the water, which is in Matthew, Mark, and in John. We're going to look at the Matthew version. And, uh, you know, Matthew, um, was a tax collector. Whether Matthew was the Matthew who wrote Matthew or not, doesn't matter. He was, uh, that was attested to him early in the early church. We think it was written somewhere around 75 to 85 A.D. Uh, it was obviously written, uh, with Mark in front of him because Mark was the first gospel. And so you can take a look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because you can look at them together. You could almost put the verses you know side by side so he had mark but he also had some stuff that mark didn't have and that stuff is called q for the first letter of the german word quella which means source and we think that that source was called the teachings of jesus now nobody's ever found the teaching of jesus they never found anything that's even been associated with the teachings of jesus but that's what they call it, and that's what Matthew added to Mark in order to have Matthew. And we know that Matthew was writing to the Jews, and he, uh, obviously in his genealogy, if you go back to Luke, Luke was to prove that Jesus was the Son of Man, meaning that he was the Messiah, uh, the Son of God, and that he traced his genealogy all the way back to Adam. Matthew traces the genealogy back to the father of Israel, which is Abraham. So you see the two different genealogies, one for one purpose, one for another purpose. So Matthew was writing to, to the Jews. And you can break Matthew up into five sections to match the five books of the Torah. You see the, uh, the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount matches the Ten Commandments. So you can see all these parallels. Matthew uses more Old Testament philosophy, a more Old Testament uh, prophecy, to show that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy than any other the right. So he's writing to Jews. So here we go. This is Matthew chapter 14, and uh, we're going to start with uh, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowd, he went to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from shore, For the wind was against them, and early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. So Peter answered him, Lord, it's you. Command me to come out of this boat and walk on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong winds, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why, why did you doubt? And when he got in the boat, the wind calmed, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, a lot of things, you know, sometimes people say, uh, they pick, pick things out of the Bible all the time. For example, Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, he thinks he can walk on water, meaning that <laughs> he thinks he's better than himself, right? And there's lots of jokes about walking on the water. In fact, I might as well get one out of the way. Y'all know I'm from Louisiana, so. So T. goes up to Boudreaux, and he says, hey, Boudreaux, he says, uh, we got to go duck hunting tomorrow morning. He says, I got me a new $100,000 dog Me, Boudreaux says, "Who? I have to see that. So the next morning they get in the blind and they call duck. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! They shoot the, bu- the duck. Duck hits the water. Dog jumps out, tiptoes. <laughs> on top of the water, picks up the duck. Back <laughs> <laughs> puts it in the blind. T Joe don't say nothing. Boudreau don't say nothing. They call
0: another duck.
1: <laughs> Boom! Shoot the duck. Up, pick up the duck. Back puts <laughs> it in the blind. So they get in the truck to go home and Boudreau says, Hey, T Joe, I hate to tell you, man. He said, but that dog, no, it's not worth $100,000. Tito says, Boudreaux, are you crazy? Didn't you see that dog do something unusual? Oh, hell yeah, I saw him do something unusual. That dog can't swim. All
0: right,
1: so we got that out of the way. This uh, story is about fear and trust, and uh, if you look up fear not or do not be afraid in the Bible, it appears almost uh, over a hundred times. So it was something that was occurring so much that it was important. It usually was said by God or was usually said by some heavenly being like an angel. And fear causes us to doubt God's promises. In fact, it actually causes us to disbelieve his love. Fear stems from a poor concept of who God is. And that's the issue in this story. Who is God? And by the way, the devil loves a fearful Christian. Now, the opposite of fear is trust. In fact, uh, Psalm 56.3 is, When I am afraid, I will trust in him. So the opposite of fear is trust. Now, let's talk about the context. You know, I'm, I'm very careful about teaching the Bible without looking at context. You have to look at context. Um, This is chapter 14, and in chapter 14, some interesting things happen before this story. The first thing that happens is that John the Baptist is arrested by Herod Antipas. Now, we know Herod Antipas is one of the sons of Herod the Great. We all know about Herod the Great, a very interesting fellow, appointed by Caesar to be the king of Judea. Um, he killed one of his ten wives, two of his sons. In fact, I believe Augustus once said that it would be better to be a pig in Herod's side than to be one of his part, part of his family. The guy was, was unbelievable. Uh, you know, he's the one who killed the babies looking for Jesus. A lot of people say, well, I don't think that was true. I don't believe that story. Well, if you knew Herod, that would easily be done. In fact, he killed all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He killed... The entire Sanhedrin had been killed when he died, so that the people who were wailing and crying for the Sanhedrin people would think that they were wailing and crying for him. I mean, the guy was really a nut. So, here's Herod Antipas, his son. Now, Herod Antipas um, really fell in love with this woman named Herodias. Now, Herodias happened to be married to his half-brother Philip, but that didn't bother Herod Antipas, and so... John the Baptist didn't like this. He said that, you know, this is just totally unacceptable. You can't be married. You can't be going out with the wife of your half-brother. And uh, her, her name was um, Herodias. And she was, um, well, let's just say you can put Jezebel on one side and Herodias on the other, and you got two women that were pretty mean. So Herodias didn't like John the Baptist telling everybody this was a problem. So they had him Uh, arrested and put into prison. And so they had a big party. And you know the story, Herodias' daughter, Salome, who was a young teenage lady, did this dance. And this dance was so nice that uh, Herod Antipas said, okay, then you can have anything up to half of my kingdom. And she went and asked her mother what she should ask for, and her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. So they cut off John the Baptist's head, put it on a platter, brought it up to the party. And then they went and told Jesus that John the Baptist had been killed. And he went off to a special place all by himself to grieve. But the crowds followed him and found out where he was. And they were so much of a crowd that they say it was about 5,000. Now, you know, they only count the men in the Bible. So it's 5,000 men, but there had to be some women and some children. So some people say it could have been as many as 20,000 people. And Jesus was teaching the crowds and healing and doing all the things that he does. And it got to be evening, about 3 to 6, somewhere between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., what's called the first evening. And Philip, if you remember, comes up to Jesus and says, we've got to feed these people and we've got to know how in the world we're going to feed these people. You know, I mean, it would take at least 200, take a whole year's salary in order to feed these people, even if we could find somebody where we could go. And if you remember, I believe it was a little boy who had, like, five loaves and two fishes. And by the way, I thought all my life that that was five loaves, like five French breads, and, like, two catfish, right? I mean, two fishes. <laughs> Actually, it was five, like, I don't know, it was like hushpuppies. They were little bitty balls of barley bread. And, and it's interesting that it was barley because only barley was used by people who were extremely poor because they couldn't afford flour. So it's five hush puppies and two um, two sardines. <laughs> okay, so now, see, instead of a happy meal, we're thinking, okay, now we got five hush puppies and two sardines. And of course, he blesses them, he passes them out. Uh, everybody eats to their fill, and he tells the disciples to go get the leftovers. There's twelve baskets left over, so this is a huge. It's told in every gospel. It's a huge, huge miracle. And now we take up our text. And the first thing that Matthew says is, immediately, and by the way, the word immediately is used a lot in Mark. If you ever read Mark, everything is immediate. I mean, Mark is is, is is a quick read, and everything is immediate. But Matthew says, immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead to the other side. Now, I'm always intrigued about the things that are in the Bible. and <laughs> Not in the Bible. He said that it was immediate, and he made the disciples go, meaning that the disciples didn't want to go. Now, why wouldn't the disciples want to go? Well, you have to look at John's version of this to find out what's happening here. John uh, chapter 6, verse 15 says, When Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain. So here's what happened. He just fed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, we do the numbers people, and they thought that he was going to be the Messiah that they were looking for to overthrow the Roman government, and they were going to make him king. So we're talking about a rebellion. We're talking about insurrection here. We're talking about all these thousands of people who are going to make Jesus king, take him to Jerusalem and let him overthrow the Roman government. And Jesus knew that that would be, first of all, this is not time for that to happen, A. B, I'm not that kind of king. Because people thought back in those days, just like Moses, remember when the the Israelites were in the wilderness and manna came from heaven because they got bread every day? Well, when people thought that the king gave them bread every day, of course, they they wouldn't have to feed themselves. They could always rely on the king. So they wanted to make him king. So Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples weren't caught up in this. I mean, I'm sure the disciples were sitting there going, hmm, if you're king, then maybe I could be Secretary of State, maybe I could be Secretary of Defense, maybe I could be... be I mean, you know, I was a fisherman, and now I am a... And they were sitting there kind of thinking, well, maybe we ought to stay here, because this is getting pretty cool. they got all these people trying to, you know, lift Jesus as king. So Jesus is saying, look, get in the boat. Get out of here. Let me take care of So they get in the boat. They leave. Jesus then goes up to the mountain, and it says, dismisses the crowd. So he obviously did something for them to, to, to be dismissed. Now, this is a lot like the third temptation in the desert remember the three temptations that when jesus was first baptized the the holy spirit pushed him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and he was there for 40 days and the first one was turn the rocks into bread you know go ahead do some miracles second one was go to the top of the temple jump off i'm sure the angels going to catch you everybody can watch you and therefore they'll know and the third one was the only one that there was no way Jesus was going to agree to it. And that was, if you bow down to me, I'll give you everything. All the kingdoms of the world. Assuming that the devil owned. The devil's a liar, okay? The devil didn't <laughs> own all the kingdoms. So, so this is just like that. I'll give you the kingdoms. I'll, I'll make you king. So it's just like the, the, third, uh, the third temptation. So they were on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And they were going to the west side, which is Capernaum, which is where their home was. So these are fishermen. At least we know seven of them had something to do with fishing, but the other five probably didn't. But they probably made that trip many times during their lifetime. Now, by the way, some people think that the reason they didn't want to go is because they knew a storm was coming. Most fishermen know a little bit about when, when storms might be coming. So here we go. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, now this is the second evening, First evening was from 3 to 6. That's when they fed the 5,000. Second evening is from 6 to 9. And when evening came, he was there alone. Isn't it interesting? You know, I I have this feeling. I don't know. I I guess I could back it up if I looked it up enough. I don't think Jesus ever did anything. I don't think he did a thing without getting God's will. I think he woke up every morning before everybody else. He went out out there by himself and said, Okay, God, what are we going to do today? I don't think he had a plan when he got up. I think... That plan was given to him during 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 prayer. So he's off by himself praying, probably distressed about again about John because he didn't have a chance to, to grieve and 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 pray. And They're in the boat, and the boat was battered by the waves and was far from land. Now, if you read the Greek, they were uh, they were like many stadia from land, and a stadia is an eighth of a mile. And it is supposed that since Galilee is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. They were probably in the middle, so about 4 miles in the middle. By the way, that normal from the east side to Capernaum would have taken about an hour of rowing on a calm day. And the wind was against them. You ever, felt like, you ever felt like you're doing what Jesus told you to do, but the wind's against you? I mean, you clearly understand he told you to go, right? He told you to get in the boat, start rowing. And you're in the boat rowing, and all of a sudden you find out that the wind's totally against you, and you start questioning whether or not, did I hear him right? Does he really understand what's going on? So the wind was against him. And early in the morning, now if you read the Greek, it says it's the fourth watch. The Romans broke the the night into four watches. So uh, the fourth watch is from 6 a.m., I mean from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Third watches from 12.3. You do the other math. So we're talking that they have been on the water for nine hours. Nine hours, which would, which would have taken maybe, what, 60 minutes? They're on the water for nine hours, rowing against the wind. This is not the same story as happened in chapter 8 when Jesus was in the boat with them. Jesus is not in the boat with them. So they're four miles away, still can't see the shore rowing against the wind. It's that time right before dawn, which is the darkest time. And uh, so early in the morning, about, I don't know, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. Now, y'all, y'all know that you've been rowing all night against the wind and the waves, and now you're seeing ghosts. You know it's bad when you start looking at the dead, Right? I mean, you can see right now, Lord, I'm bone tired, I'm lost, I, ain't, I can't get out of this thing, the uh, wind's here, and now i got ghosts all around me. So they saw a ghost, a Greek phantom. And they cried out, because they were scared to death. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, these guys should have remembered their songs. Remember Psalm 77? The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea and your path through the mighty waters. Your footprints were unseen. Yeah, well, they weren't quoting poetry, okay? They saw a ghost at four or five o'clock in the morning. Jesus says, it is I. That's not fair if you don't know Greek. What he said was, I am, and in Greek that is ego, me. Now, why is that important? Ego, ame. <coughs> I am. Do you remember when Moses went to the burning bush? And, you know, he had that uh, Moses denial, right? Hey, God, don't, get me. don't thank me. I'm too old. I stutter. I'm wanted back there. They're going to kill me if I go back. What you, who you really need is my brother Aaron. You really don't need me. do ever argued with God on that one. Hey, God, i got the wrong guy. I'm not, I'm not ready for that committee. I'm not ready to go to that mission. I'm not ready to teach that class. I'm not ready to go, get, you know, we all have Moses' denial. And then Moses said, okay, well, if I'm going to Pharaoh, first thing he's going to ask me is, what is the name of the God who sent me? Well, they got lots of gods in Egypt. So he wants to know, what's the name of the God who sent me? Do you remember God said, I am Ego Amin? I am who I am, Ego Amin. When Jesus was before Caiaphas at his trial, never said a mumbling word, never said a word. All these people questioning him, all these people accusing him. And finally, Caiaphas is getting close to time when Caiaphas has to take him to Pilate. And so Caiaphas breaks the question, right? Are you the son of God? And Jesus could have never said a word. And I don't know what would have happened. But the only two words he said was, ego, amen, I am. The same words that God's name. And that's why Caiaphas said he just committed blasphemy because he called himself God. So this ego a me, if you go to John, there's the I, the famous I am sayings. I am the bread of life. I am I am I am I. Am. Those are all ego a me. Okay? Because it's the divinity of Jesus. So when Jesus says, he didn't say, Y'all calm down, it's me. He didn't say that. He said, Peace be with you because I am God, ego the me. They should have remembered that first storm. Y'all remember the first storm, right? When Jesus gets in the boat with the uh, disciples and uh, goes to sleep in the storm, in the hurricane, and the disciples get all scared and everything like we're going to die, and finally they go to him back in the back of the boat and says, you know, you really need to wake up here because we're about to die, which is kind of interesting that Jesus was asleep in the hurricane, but Jesus probably knew that he wasn't going to die by drowning. He was going to die on the cross. And so they come to him, and he just says, Peace, be still, everything shuts down. And then he says to them, You have little little faith. Uh, And uh, they said, "What, What manner of man is this? So they have already been through a storm with Jesus in the boat, but now they're in a storm, and Jesus is not in the boat. In fact, Jesus left them. They don't even know where Jesus is. So they see this ghost coming up to them. Y'all need to understand that no storm is too severe. No night is never so black. The boat is never so frail. You're never in a place where Christ can't get to you. Emmanuel, God with us. And Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. (laughs) Peter, oh, impetuous Peter, right? The oldest of the disciples, by the way. Peter's always getting in trouble. So Peter's looking out there in the midst of all this bone-tired, cold and wet, and he sees this apparition on the water, and he goes, Jesus, if that's you, because I can't see you too clear, but if that's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Now, a lot of people, they look at this and go, you know, Peter's just showing off. Peter wants to be like Jesus. That's not it at all. Peter wants to be with Jesus, because Peter understands that it's safer to be with Jesus on the water than it is to be in the boat without him. Maybe I'll say that for some of y'all again. It's better to be with Jesus on the water than it is to be in the boat without him. So he says, bid me to come. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. Now listen, y'all. Peter is a professional fisherman. He's been fishing these waters all his life. You don't think that sometime during all this he didn't get thrown out of the boat? Do you know? He knows what happened when he stepped out of that boat. He's going to sink. So do you think about this. The only guy that gets out of the boat is the professional fisherman who knows that as soon as he puts his foot down there, he's going to sink. So Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And he starts going toward Jesus. (coughs) But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. Let's see if I got this right. We follow Jesus. We have a clear understanding that Jesus has told us to do something We clearly understand what he wants us to do. We know and we trust that he's going to give us all the power we need to do it. And then we start doing it, and all of a sudden, things start happening to us. We start noticing things like, we're not smart enough to do this. We're not old enough to do this. We're not rich enough to do this. We have all kinds of problems, and we can't do this. And all of a sudden, we start losing that trust. So when Peter started seeing the outside Instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus, he started to sink. And then he cried out, Save me, Lord. Now, I'm curious about this. If he's a professional fisherman, shouldn't he know how to swim? Wouldn't you think that if he got out of the boat and he started to go down, that he'd start swimming? Nah, I think he was to the point where he knew he was in trouble. So he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, I read that wrong. Because I, I think that's the way most people read that. You of little faith. That's, by the way, that's where we get the phrase, ye of little faith. It ends out of the story. Ye of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't, think it's the way, that's, I don't think that's the way that Jesus said this. I think he said it like this. You of little faith. Why did do you doubt now? Why did do you doubt? Man, you were making it. You were already taking four, five, six steps. Why did you let the doubt get in the way? You were almost there. In other words, he was coaching Peter. He wasn't rebuking him, he was coaching him. He got enough faith to get out of the boat. And he even had enough faith to walk a couple of steps. If you just kept that faith, you'd have made it. Let's talk about Peter's character that is in this story. You see, Peter acted on impulse. and He acted on impulse a lot because he relied on his heart. And he often failed. In fact, he never really failed, finally failed. Because in the moment of his failure, he touched Jesus. His faith was enough to get him out of the boat, but it was not enough to carry him across the water. He wasn't trying to be Jesus. He was trying to get to Jesus. Now, why did Peter doubt? Well, for one thing, he'd been rowing for nine hours. I'm pretty sure he's pretty tired. Second, he was probably scared to death that he was standing on top of the water. Third, he saw a ghost. Didn't even know if it was dead or alive. And now he's about to drown trying to get to Jesus. But you know what? Weak faith is better than no faith at all. It was safer to be with Jesus than to be in that boat. Now, there's a couple of things I think we should learn about this. The first thing is you have to leave the fellows in the boat. In other words, we have to get out of our comfort zone. Why don't you just think about what your boat is? We all got a boat. We all got that place we want to go to, right? When we get scared or when we get frightened, it may be our past that we need to get rid of. There's a lot of things that we want to keep inside the boat. One guy got out, 11 stayed. Tells you something about they'd rather die in that boat. So sometimes you got to leave the fellows in the boat. The second thing is his purpose was to get to Jesus. Don't we just need to get to Jesus? If you're scared, if you're walking scared, when I have fear, I put my trust in you. The opposite of fear is trust. And third, we need to learn how to walk over what our fear is. If you are afraid of something, you need to learn from this story, if nothing else. You can walk over it with the help of Jesus. But sometimes we say, Lord, or just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, we get all kinds of hazards. Little faith means immature faith. Mature faith means... Believing in more what you can't see than the terrifying things you can. Faith requires risk, and risk exposes us. And then, when he got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I love Max Lucado, and I'm going to read from him in a minute, but one of the things that he talks about is. How do you deal with anxiety and fear? And one thing we should do is we should turn it over to Christ. I believe in 1 Peter it says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And then stand firm in God's promises. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Remember Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Me. Your anxiety and your fears are only temporary. In John 16, John says, Jesus said, I have said this to you so that in me you will have peace. In the world you're going to face persecution, but take courage. I have overcome the world. (coughs) And pray diligently. Philippians says, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be known. And the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think Max says a little bit about this story. As famous lakes go, Galilee, only 13 miles long and about half that wide, is a small, moody one. The diminutive size makes it more vulnerable to the winds that howl from the golden heights. They turned the lake into a blender, shifting suddenly, blowing from one direction and then another. Peter and his fellow storm riders knew they were in trouble. What should have been a 60-minute cruise became a night-long vigil. The boat lurched and lungs like a kite in a march wind. Sunlight was a distant memory. Rain fell from the sky. Lightning sliced the blackness with a silver sword, and winds whipped the sails. An apt description, perhaps, of your stage in life. Perhaps all we need to do is substitute a couple of nouns. In the middle of a divorce, tossed by guilt in the middle of debt tossed by creditors in the middle of a recession tossed by a stimulus package and bailouts the disciples fought the storm for nine cold skin drenching hours and about four o'clock in the morning the unspeakable happened they spotted something coming on the water a ghost they said they didn't expect jesus to come to them this way neither do we We expect him to come in the form of peaceful hymns on Easter Sunday or quiet retreats. We expect to find Jesus in the morning, church suppers, meditation. We never expect to see him in a bear market or in a peak slip or a lawsuit or a foreclosure or war. We never expect him to see him in a storm, but it's in a storm that he does his best work. For it's in storms that he has our keenest attention. Power inhabits words to waken in the ICU and hear your husband say, I'm here. To lose your retirement and you feel the support of your family in the words, we're here. When a little leaguer spots mom and dad in the bleachers watching the game, I am here, changes everything. Perhaps that's why God repeats the I am here pledge so often. You can't go where God is not. Look over your shoulder. That's God following you. Look in the storm. That's God coming toward you. Much to Peter's credit, he took Jesus at his word. Lord, if that's you, command me to come. And he said, come. And Peter came down out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter never would have made this request in a calm sea. Had Christ strolled across the lake that was as smooth as glass, Peter would have applauded but I doubt that he would have stepped out of the boat. Storms prompt us to take unprecedented journeys. For a few historic stops and heart-chilling moments, Peter did the impossible. He defied the law of gravity and walked toward Jesus. Matthew moves us quickly to the major message of this story. But when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began saying, Lord, save me. And a wall of water eclipsed his view, a wind gust snapped the, the crack in the ship in a flash of lightning. Peter shifted his attention away from Jesus and toward the squall. And when he did, he sank like a brick. You give the storm waters more attention than the storm walker, and you better get ready to do the same. The storm didn't, cu- didn't cease, but the discouragement did. So, so did Peter's. And after a few moments of, fi- of flaming in the water, he turned back to Christ, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out. You of little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus could have stilled the storm hours earlier, but he didn't. He wanted to teach the followers a lesson. Jesus could have calmed your storm long ago, but he hasn't. Does he also want to teach you a lesson? Could the lesson read something like this Storms are not an option, but fear is. God has flung his diploma in the universe rainbows, sunsets, horizons. He recorded his accomplishments in scripture. He's got red sea openings, lion's mouth closings, Goliath killings, Lazarus raisings. His lesson is clear. He's the commander of every storm. Are you scared in yours? Then stare at him. This may be your first storm, but it's certainly not his. And he has a message for you. I'm here. Let us pray. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home.
0: Stuff to think about, doesn't it? Yeah. Our Bible verse this week was Matthew 22:37, which is the great commandment. And I have pondered in my heart, since my name is Mary, I can do that. The last little piece of that, love your neighbor as yourself. That's only five or six words. Love? What kind of love? I love Jim one way, I love you another way, I love my children another way, but what kind of love? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then who's your neighbor? Well, I can love Jerry and G. They're my neighbors. But then we have a new Hispanic congregation here that are our neighbors. And then we have people in Kenya that are our neighbors. So pick on that word neighbor a little bit. Who would that be? And then it's always interesting how do I love myself? So I'll just leave that with you this week. Have a good time with it. Plunder it a little bit. Have a great time. Bye bye.